In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hey, Lanterncast family, I'm Chad Bolkelman, and welcome to a very special episode of the Lanterncast. We're not even going to number it because it's a it's a special episode slash interview slash announcement episode and we wanted to get this episode out to you guys as soon as possible uh and there's a very specific reason why uh i have been speaking with uh, tomorrow's publishing and they have two very special issues coming out here in the next few weeks uh days rather uh uh celebrating the 75th anniversary of green lantern and of course you know flash and, and hawkman and and those that appeared in this this uh this year 75 years ago but to celebrate that, uh, both publishers putting out an issue of Back Issue and of Alter Ego devoted to those those characters. And the individual I have on with me is the writer of one of the uh, main articles for Alter Ego, issue number 80. Uh, and he is covering The Flash, The Green Lantern, and Hawkman all in one big article. And his name is Kurt Mitchell. Hey, Kurt, how you doing? Hi, Chad. Yes, sir. I... I- just jump right into it. For those who aren't familiar with with uh, your credentials uh, in in terms of what your what got you to this point of writing comics history, why don't you kind of tell people how you got to this point? Well, I had been an art major back in the '70s with a goal of becoming an artist for Marvel, mm-hmm. and I did eventually do try out for it. But uh, I have disabilities, and so I draw with my mouth. And I found that it was just physically impossible for me to maintain a professional schedule as an artist. So I went into another line of work, which is irrelevant to what we're talking about, and uh, had to drop out of that about 10 years ago and just kind of started uh, working on some comics history ideas of my own. And uh, eventually that led me to meet Roy Thomas at one of the Emerald City Comic Cons in Seattle, and uh, I sent him copies of what I'd been working on, and he asked me if I'd be willing to work with him on the All-Star Companion series that Tomorrow's was putting out. And I had articles appear in uh, three of the four issues of those. And from there, I have done a, a few articles for Alter Ego. I've done a couple that were on uh, the Justice Society members in the Bronze Age and then a, a Avengers history last year, and then this year the the Hawkman, Green Lantern, and Flash article. And for those of you for those of you not aware, because uh, some of our listeners are just more into the, the the characters themselves as opposed to the history behind the characters. For those of you not aware, Tomorrow's uh, is probably, uh, if not the preeminent source, at least in my mind. For comics history, I mean, uh, I, just a small smattering of things specifically related to Alter Ego, 
Uh, I've got the Jerry Conway issue, the Frederick Wortham issue, the Denny O'Neill issue, and the Julie Schwartz issues all in front of me right now. I, and those, there's not a bad article in the bunch of any of those. So if you ever run across tomorrow's works, whether it be back issue, alter ego, anything else, and it's a topic that interests you, buy the issue, no questions asked. <laughs> I couldn't agree more, Chad. I was an alter ego fan long before I started working for it. For sure, for sure. And and there's never I've never thought uh, bought an issue and thought, well, I wasted that, that those few bucks. Uh, it, it's it's uh, amazing. One of the other things I really love that you guys put out, and actually you worked on, right, uh, is the American Comic Book Chronicles. Yes, I'm I'm working with Roy on the two volumes that'll cover 1940 to 44 and 1945 to 49. Oh, wow, because I I have I have the whole series that is available on my wish list on Amazon, and for Christmas I got the 1965 through 69, and for my birthday just a few days ago I got the 50 through 59. <laughs> so I they're beautiful books, aren't they? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, they're they're they hold a very uh, gorgeous spot on my bookshelf for sure. But uh, yep. j- jumping jumping right into it with uh, your your uh, your comics history knowledge, how hard was it? And I, I know you the the article I've, I've read your article um here for alter ego and it splits it between golden and silver ages how hard was it to find uh reliable information as it were for the golden age in my experience a lot of that stuff is relegated to third person because not a lot of the of course not a lot of our our golden age creators are still around um so how much how much of that was hard to find versus the silver age information that you're looking for in terms of the history and the birth and who was credited to what It wasn't as difficult as I actually thought it was going to be, to tell you the truth. A lot of what I gathered from, for the article, were simply interviews that had already appeared in Alter Ego. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plus, I read uh, several books on DC history. Uh, I relied a lot on Julia Schwartz's autobiography, Man of Two Worlds. I have that. It's a wonderful book. It is. And then... Really, a big part of what I did was actually sitting down and reading every last one of those stories. Oh, and taking and taking notes on them. Uh, how long did that take you? That's quite an undertaking. <laughs> uh, well, because of course that's not all I, I have to do with my life. <laughs> uh, it took me about eight months to do both the Golden Age and Silver Age material. Wow, uh, that is that is a lot of comics. <laughs> it is, and unfortunately, it's a lot of bad comics sometimes. Uh, that 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 is true. That is true. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the Golden Age, uh, especially, was not known for being uh, a hit every single issue. <laughs> no, and there is some some truly truly. Let's see. I don't want to be unkind. Let's say inappropriate art. For the kind of stories being told, <laughs> worthy of the uh, invention of the Comics Code Authority, one might say. <laughs> oh, I don't mean inappropriate in that sense. More that stylistically, they didn't blend well with the kind of stories being told. There you go. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, now people are 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 probably very familiar with the basic uh, history of these characters, and and I don't want to spoil your article for anybody. So uh, I'll I'll. I'm going to give a brief recap. Obviously, after Superman was created, the and it was as big of a moneymaker as it, of course, was, the call went out, bring me another Superman. Uh, and everybody everywhere brought every... And, and tried to publish every single superhero they could think of. Uh, and, of course, Flash 
came about, Jay Garrick, and then uh, Martin Nodell, of course, came up with uh, with Green Lantern, uh, Alan Scott, and uh, I've heard an interview with him in which he stated that he came up with it on the on the train ride home or something. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, of course, Hawkman, uh, and that of you know after a few years. Uh, of those stories being out, and of course, then the invention of the comics code and things getting a little uh, stale. You know, Julie Schwartz comes along and reinvents them in the Silver Age, uh, which is why Julie is one of my <laughs> one of my all time greatest heroes, and why I had why I had to buy that issue a back issue when it came out. Um, but more of a breakdown level, what can you tell people about? Uh, the, the the history of these characters and, and and the creators behind them that maybe you yourself didn't know going into writing this article and researching for it um, or or that uh, the general public would would probably not have heard of hmm that's a good question let me think about that for a second uh, I think part of it was I didn't realize what a heavy editorial hand was being used back then first by Sheldon Mayer and then by Julie Schwartz they played very active roles in the uh, creation and maintenance of those characters. Uh, Sheldon Mayer had... I read uh, several interviews where both he and other people who had been on staff at that time said basically his job, as far as Maxwell C. Gaines, the publisher, was concerned, was to create the characters and then hand them off to, to writers and artists to do. Well, Mayer was a more collaborative editor than that. So, of course, he gave just the bare bones of what he wanted to his writers and artists and, and trusted them to do what was necessary. But everything went through, everything went over his desk. He, you know, nothing got drawn until a script was approved. And uh, Julie Schwartz, when he came aboard, as had, uh, actually, let me, let me back up just a bit because I'm kind of talking ahead of myself. The editorial system there at All American Comics was that Sheldon Mayer was was the editor in chief, although originally he was just called the assistant editor, although he handled all the editorial duties. Uh, then he started hiring assistants. He had two assistants prior to Julie Schwartz, Ted Udall, and Dorothy Rubinchek, and they served as story editors, which means that they sat with the artists and plotted out the stories. Uh, sometimes they just came up with, I think Julius Schwartz said that he was asked for his test about whether he could be an appropriate story editor with All-American was to come up with 20 plots and uh, bring them to the office. And every one of those 20 plots ended up getting used. Yeah, I, and, I, and I just wanted, I, the reason I wanted to ask that is because as I was reading through your through your article, one thing in particular jumped out to me. Now, this is obviously a little bit later in these characters' history after their, after their inceptions. But uh, the, uh, <laughs> one of the things that, that, that stunned me that I hadn't heard about is at one point, scripting for both, for all three, Hawkman, Flash, and Green Lantern was handled by Robert Kaniger. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Now, the reason that jumped out to me is I'm a huge Ragman fan. Uh, and Ragman, of course, was created by Robert Kaniger and Joe Kubert. Uh, and uh, that's, that's, that's really my only uh, personal exposure to Robert Kaniger that, that you know, leaps to the forefront of my mind. So <laughs> hearing that Robert Kaniger took such an active role in these comics, especially Green Lantern, <laughs> uh, a comic that I obviously hold very near and dear to my heart, uh, is 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 really uh, shocking to me. Could you explain a little bit about the 
how three major titles or characters rather fell under the purview of one guy? <laughs> well, actually, it's four because he was also writing and editing Wonder Woman by that point. Oh, wow. <laughs> Kaniger had been an editor with another publisher, and I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. And it worked in magazine publishing as well. So he had a long track record before he came to D.C. And he came aboard to backstop uh, Charles Moulton Marston, the creator and writer of Wonder Woman, mm -hmm. when his health got bad. And uh, then when Marston passed away, uh, he took over as both writer and editor. And then he was continued to write for Julius Schwartz at the same time. So he was writing Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, Hawkman, Black Canary, and sometimes the Justice Society strip, all within that period. So he was a major player in crafting the latter half of the Golden Age. That, that's just one of the, the many reasons why I wanted to to specifically highlight the, the, the tomorrow's publishing as being something <laughs> noteworthy of picking up because I mean, as 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 involved as I am in, in wanting to learn about comics history and, and things like that, there are still things I come across that I just cannot believe and and, and just or had never heard of before. Um, now, granted, the, the my only exposure to Golden Age uh, Green Lantern would be the DC Archive editions uh, that have come out, and those are only two volumes, and that's a very small portion of of uh, of Alan Scott appearances when you get right down to it. And and unfortunately. You don't even get to the good stuff. That's true. And by the good stuff, what, what, what are we talking about? Just to cue, to cue people in. Uh, to me, the, the, the gold Green Lantern strip was at its prime when it was Alfred Bester writing the scripts and Paul Reinman doing the artwork. And Best, Bester, of course, is, is credited, among other things, of creating the Green Lantern Oath as we know it, right? That is correct. He also gave us Vandal Savage and Solomon Grundy. Yeah, I, I, I've seen I've seen the first appearance of uh, Solomon Grundy on shelves at uh, Comic Cons, and oh, if I had the money! <laughs> I I hear you, I hear you. I don't have many Golden Age comics myself, and uh, that is one that I would give an arm to uh, to have a uh, a piece of. It, it, and it's, if if that's what you consider, well, for lack of a better term, the golden age of the golden age of Green Lantern with Bester, uh, aside from the creation of those characters in which they were introduced, is there a certain aspect about the actual storytelling uh, that is a, is a departure from what had come prior, or is it just... Yeah, I would say that's definitely the case. Most of the previous run had been written by Bill Finger, mm -hmm. who, of course, we all know is the unacknowledged co-creator of Batman, among many other things. Right. And uh, it was a good strip under Bill Finger, but it was a very serious strip. It was, it, despite having Doiby Dickles there for comic relief, it was a, a kind of an unending succession of stories about urban crime and urban corruption. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of variety, not a lot of costumed villains, not really much challenge for Green Lantern. And when Bester took over, we did see more costumed villains. We also saw a great deal more humor in the strip. Uh, the GL and Doiby relationship was, uh, as I mentioned in the article, it was patterned after the relationship between Abbott and Costello, who were immensely popular in movie theaters at that time, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Alan Scott being 
you know, the, the straight man and Doidy being the, the clownish sidekick. Right. And that was a lot of fun. And the stories were uh, imaginative and had humorous characters that they were centered around. A lot of times when Bester himself or Mayer would show up in the strip, uh, they would do stories where they would explore uh, what would happen if, if such and such happened and they'd show it from three different angles. I'm, I'm not doing a very good job of describing it. I'm sorry. I, I, it's been a little while since I wrote the article. so I'm No worries. Lying on the old memory here. Um, but yeah, just just fun, imaginative things that we really weren't seeing in the strip before. Right now, now one thing I wanted to ask because, and this is a point of the Golden Age that remains a little fuzzy to me, is how the war affected comics at the time. Now I know that you know with uh, with uh, you know bonds and, and stuff like that. You know, a lot of comics were were trashed or recycled or whatever, which is why a lot of the Golden Age stuff is, is worth a, a, a pretty penny these days is because of the, the scarcity of those issues. But outside of that, how about within the comics? Because I was reading through your article, and it seems like these characters were affected all in different ways. Like Alan and Doiby went to war, whereas Jay didn't. Like, what, what, was, what was the process through, through, through all of that, and how did those, those, uh, those comics affect... Uh, in, uh, in 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 a way, uh, reflect the war. Yeah, reflect the war. There you go. Uh, actually, they didn't for very long. Uh, the the initial burst of of gung ho enthusiasm that we think of and associate with with uh, Golden Age comics actually only lasted about ten months. Hmm. And you know, I speculate in the article that it may have been that the editorial staff decided that they were at the risk of trivializing the sacrifices of, of real uh, heroes in the war by showing, you know, Green Lantern mopping up entire squadrons of, of the Luftwaffe. And uh, I think partially it was because this, the sales fell off after that initial burst of enthusiasm. One of the things I wanted to ask is we know that uh, well, at least for me, one of my big focuses recently with Green Lantern is I started a spinoff podcast all about Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Uh, and I had mentioned that uh, Julie is one of my heroes. Well, so is Denny and Neil. Uh, and I, one of the things, my goals in that, that um, spinoff is to kind of not only recap each issue, but show how it directly contradicts the comics code as it was initially established uh, within the issue. Uh, so as a result, I've spent a lot of my time uh, in, with with Golden Age history, specifically as it relates to Frederick Wortham the and and you know the the trials the Senate subcommittee trials on juvenile delinquency and everything like that. And my mindset is such that. It's after the invention of the comics code that everything starts getting a little zany, campy. Uh, people who were taking these issues more seriously kind of dropped off, which is why we then need the reboot uh, and, and, and the whole reimagining in what we get with Barry Allen and Hal Jordan and everything in the Silver Age. Is that true as a his comics historian, or is there more to it? Is was was there more to why the Golden Age? bled into becoming the Silver Age? Why, why the, the distinction there? Why those characters had to go away and, and be reinvented? Well, the answer, I'm afraid, is, is short and sweet. It was sales. Uh, after the war, the popularity of superhero comics dropped colossally. Uh, 
and other genres came into popularity. Crime comics sold far more than than uh, superheroes did, as did romance comics, as did westerns. They were all selling better than superheroes, who seemed like relics of the war years that people wanted to put behind them. There were certain heroes, of course, who survived that down, downturn, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and at other companies, Plastic Man survived, uh, Captain Marvel survived, and a handful of others. But for the most part, the industry turned away from superheroes almost entirely for five or six years until DC revived it again with uh, showcase number four. Right, which is, of course, uh, the, the the reimagining of Barry Allen as the Flash. Going from inhaling, what was it, inhaling hard water fumes to <laughs> to uh, a bolt of lightning in the crash of chemicals, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, not that either one is particularly <laughs> believable, but at least the Barry Allen one sounds like it ought to Yeah, work. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, they reimagine it for the TV show, of course, but it's still lightning and chemicals. <laughs> Now, one of one of the things I wanted to ask you, since since you get into it, and, and since he's directly responsible, and I've mentioned before, you know, Julie is is one of my heroes. What can you tell me about Julie Schwartz uh, and the key role like he played in comics at this time? Like, if it wasn't for Julie, what could have the comics landscape been like? Well, that's a good question. I think for one thing, we probably would not have seen the influx of, of science fiction writers into the comics industry who followed Julie Schwartz in because, as I'm sure you know, he had been a literary agent for science fiction and fantasy writers before he became yeah. a comic book editor. And uh, a number of future science fiction Hall of Fame uh, members uh, came into comics through Julie. Edmund Hamilton, Alfred Bester, Henry Kuttner, uh, Robert Block wrote a story for The Flash, the fellow who wrote Psycho. Mm -hmm. And there were others who I cannot remember off the top of my head, but I think uh, the strong science fiction flavor that superhero comics acquired uh, in the late Golden Age and definitely in the Silver Age are a direct consequence of Julius Schwartz coming into the industry. And it's, is it safe to say that also Julie is, is uh, not only the man behind the reinvention of these characters, but of these characters and their past selves meeting in a multiverse type situation with, you know, Flash of Two Worlds and with, uh, actually I own a copy of Green Lantern number 40 where Hal faces off against, uh, with uh, Alan Scott and we get the whole origin of the multiverse and, and all of that. Oh yes, I have a nice copy of that one too. That, yeah, I, I paid I think about seventy five bucks for that when I when I found it, and I have not regretted it since. <laughs> but is it safe to say that Julie Julie is also responsible for the the uh, the bigger idea, not just not just reinventing these characters, but saying not throwing away the golden age? Um, yeah, I, I would say that's true. You know, he I think he he had it in mind all along, even when he first. Uh, introduced Barry Allen and had him a, a uh, childhood fan of the Jay Garrick Flash. And I think, you know, they had done uh, parallel Earth stories in comics prior to Flash of Two Worlds, so it wasn't really that much of a leap. Uh, but to be able to tie it, instead of having it just be a random parallel world, to have it actually be the world of the Golden Age characters was an absolute moment of inspiration. 
Now, one of the, one of the things I wanted to ask, because uh, we wanted to keep this a little short, I didn't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, I'm uh, as big of a fan as I am of Green Lantern and Flash. I honestly, if I'm being uh, completely transparent here, I don't know a whole lot about Hawkman. One of the few things I do know about Hawkman is that his continuity gets super convoluted the further you get into his. Uh, into reading uh, more of his stories, well, rather the further along you get, uh, is is the Golden Age, Silver Age transfer? Is that where some of the continuity issues with Hawkman start, or is it more later years, like you know, leading up into like Crisis on Infinite Earths, much later? It's 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 pretty much post Crisis. The two Hawkmans originally were fairly distinct because they were, you know, rather than being both Clark Kent as the two supermen were, you had Carter Hall and Katar Hall, who called himself Carter Hall. Now, it seems like a, not much of a distinction, but when you're talking about people from two different planets, uh, then you, you are talking about a big distinction. And the, the two strips, the Golden Age Hawkman and Silver Age Hawkman, were really nothing alike in tone, even though they were very similar superficially in terms of the characters having the same names and occupations and costumes. But the focus was entirely different. The level of literacy was entirely different because uh, the Silver Age Hawkman stories were very definitely aimed at the young science fiction reader, where the Golden Age material was more standard superhero material, um, especially later in the run. One of the things I wanted to ask now, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of scrolling through. Uh, the uh, the images uh, that have been placed uh, in with the article, and one of the things I notice is a drastic change in in art style. I mean, obviously, uh, it's the maybe I'm assuming the printing technology got a little bit better as well. But alongside, I mean, things things just seem to be way more action oriented. And I don't just mean on the cover. I mean panel to panel, from Golden Age to Silver Age. Uh, I mean, and, and colors. Pop. That's absolutely true, and it's it's even true of the first half of the Golden Age and the second half of the Golden Age. And a lot of that goes back to Sheldon Mayer. Sheldon Mayer grew up eating, living, and breathing newspaper comics. Those guys were his heroes. And when he went into a position of power in the comics industry, he made a point of, of especially the older men who had worked in newspaper comics, of bringing them in to draw for... All-American. You had George Storm doing the whip, who did a huge star in newspaper comics 20 years before. You had Ed Whelan, who had the joke pages in most of the early All-American comics. Uh, these were the guys that Sheldon Mayer knew and responded to, and he tended to favor artists who worked in a more cartoony style as opposed to a realistic style. Sheldon Moldoff, who drew Hawkman in the early days, was much more of a realistic had much more of a realistic style, uh, such a, very much like uh, uh, Alex Raymond and Hal Foster, the classic newspaper comic artists. Uh, so when Mayer retired from editing and went back to cartooning full-time and Julia Schwartz took over, Julia Schwartz was not a comics fan prior to becoming an editor in comics. He didn't really know the medium, and he had no attachment to newspaper comics, so he was much more inclined to uh, favor realistic styles, and he gradually shifted the art staff over that way, 
And the art, the artists of the Silver Age all began with Schwartz in the late 40s during the Golden Age and had time to grow and mature into the styles that we came to love. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's that's something that I've, I've, I've noticed from uh, reading Golden Age and Silver Age issues. And, and one of the, probably one of the, the, the better ways to, to show how the medium evolved, and maybe it's uh, simple to some people, but to me it, it jumps out. When you have characters like Green Lantern, going up against characters like Sinestro, green versus yellow, and then, you know, Star Sapphire later uh, with, uh, you know, the, the pinks and the greens. I mean, the, the, it's, it seems like the, the, the medium kind of found itself, you know? I mean, it's, it's, they, 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 the comics was very young, obviously, in the, in the Golden Age, and obviously the pulps and everything beforehand, you know, kind of led into comics. But it seems like somewhere between golden and silver... Uh, ages of comics that these stories started taking advantage of the medium in which they were being told you know going you know there's more here than just words or there's more here than just art and finding a good team between the two i think that's true i think comics as a whole had a lot of fine tuning to get we, we forget that at the, the start of the golden age in, in 1938 comic book medium was only about five years old uh and, and for the first few years of comic books, they were all basically nothing but collections of reprinted newspaper strips or collections of rejected newspaper strips or original strips drawn by people who secretly wanted to be newspaper strip artists. And it took a long time for comics to find their own vocabulary and their own way of doing things. And we have artists like Jack Kirby and Will Eisner and Carmine Infantino to thank for making that realization and making that change. Yeah, that's 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 as good a note to as any to 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 end things on. But I wanted to ask you before before we kind of kind of wrap up here is and, and I've kind of been uh, skipping around in the article finding things to that I wanted to kind of expand on. But I don't want to spoil too much about your article. Give some give some things for people to discover and read. Is there anything you want to say about your article uh, and, and and what people should look forward to? Uh, I mean, I know it's kind of hard to talk about your own work, but uh, is, is there anything you want to you want to promote about the article, about the issue before it comes out to just kind of give people a little bit of a incentive to go pick it up? Well, I'd like to mention that in addition to my article, we have an interview with Arthur Petty, who is an artist on an artist and an inker on the Green Lantern and Justice Society strips, and he is an artist, and I know almost nothing about, and I myself am looking forward to reading it. Yes, that, that that comes right after your article. I'm seeing it right here. Uh, uh, that's uh, honestly, to be honest with you, I do not know that name off the top of my head. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to reading this interview. And I'm also seeing in here, and I don't know if you can tell me anything about this because I don't I, obviously I don't uh, get every issue of of back issue or alter eagle, just the ones that really leap out of the the previews page to me. Um, what is this thing in here by Roy Thomas? The the will of William Wilson. It's like reprints of long ago forgotten Golden Age pages. It was a. He's been piecing this together off and on for years, and scraps of it have appeared in the All Star Companions, and there have been a number of articles over the years. Uh, it's a lost JSA story that was prepared but never published, and the pages ended up scattered and were believed destroyed. But bit by bit by bit, he's been finding all of the pages for this unpublished, unheralded story. Uh, and, and I think he's close to actually having the complete story. And I, I really hope he gets 
is able to find the rest of the pages because you know a lost JSA story is is a treasure. Uh, yeah, and there's only let's see, it looks like there's only two, maybe two and a half pages of uh, uh, worth of panels from this uh, from this lost JSA story in this issue. Uh, but <laughs> that that's enough to make me go. I I saw the words lost in JSA and I was like, uh are we getting fresh Golden Age stuff in the 2015? <laughs> I got really excited about that, so I had to ask you because I, I didn't know that this was an ongoing thing. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. In fact, I think it's I think it's a cycle pirate story. Yeah, I, I've I was flipping through. I don't think I'm not certain if any of the uh, the uh, panels directly mention cycle pirate anywhere in here. But I, yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to reading it. It's probably incentive for me to go back and get all the other issues that these panels appeared in. <laughs> but I, I wanted I wanted to 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 definitely take the time out to let people know. Now this is going to be Alter Ego number one thirty two, right? I believe so. Okay, uh, according to to uh, what John Morrow sent me, uh, he he told me that the, this one is actually shipping on April fifteenth. And uh, you can see a free preview over at Tomorrow's. Uh, I will have a link to it on the website at LanternCast.com. So anybody listening can go uh, double-check that and, and flip through a couple of preview pages, see if that's something you want to take a look at. And then the sister issue over at Back Issue is going to be Back Issue number 80. Ships on April 29th. Again, the free preview available over at the Tomorrow's uh, website. But also you can go to LanternCast.com and, and there will be a link to that one as well. Um, they are covering everything uh, Flash, Green Lantern, uh, and uh, uh, Hawkman in, in this issue of uh, Alter Ego related for the 75th anniversary of, of uh, Green Lantern, Flash, and, uh, and, uh, and Hawkman. Um, and before we let uh, Kurt go, I wanted to you know, uh, include him in on it, so maybe if he, if he wants, you can participate uh, later on in June and July. But it's at this point, guys, that we want to announce something over at for the Lantern Cast, and uh, hope Kurt, I hope you'll bear with me while I, I do this for our listeners. Um, we at the Lantern Cast are going to be celebrating the uh, the seventy fifth anniversary of Green Lantern. Um, a few years ago, DC Comics did a big celebration for Superman and Batman in terms of animated features and logos and a whole thing across the brand. But those started fairly early in the 75th anniversary of those characters. But as of yet, we have not seen anything from DC on the, uh, the, the Green Lantern front. Um, and rather than get upset about it, we're going to take it into our own hands. The Lantern cast is teaming up with almost every single Green Lantern fan-related website, blog, and podcast on the internet. And we're going to be celebrating it in a massive crossover in the months of June and July. Every single website, blog, and podcast is welcome to do whatever they want within the confines of what they hope to accomplish for their specific podcast, blog, or, or site. But we're going to make it as epic of content as we possibly can we're over at the lantern cast we're going to make sure that every single episode in the months of june and july outside of of course regular issue reviews are as amazing as we can possibly make them in terms of guests and interviews content and everything we are coming up with a logo that will be used across everything we're inviting other comics bloggers podcasters and websites that don't necessarily have to deal specifically with comics uh it related to green lantern to participate in on the fun 
whoever wants to join, they can. So without giving too much away or telling you who's involved, I will let you know that it's almost every single Green Lantern-related fan site out there, including, of course, just teasing it one for, for those of you listening at home who know, who know about it, Blog of Oa, one of the main sites, they're involved too. So that's just one of many, and we cannot wait. It's going to be huge, uh, and we hope to bring a huge and shine a huge spotlight on Green Lantern for his 75th uh, year. Um, and that is why we wanted to team up with Tomorrow's for this particular uh, brief uh, uh, promotional uh, thing for these two issues because Tomorrow's is quality publisher who have been publishing things for years that uh, I, I personally admire and pseudo comics fans all over the place. And to see them do something like this with Back Issue and Alter Ego teaming up to celebrate the history of these characters uh, played right in line with what we wanted to do in the months of June and July for the uh, – for uh for for the 75th anniversary so i wanted to definitely thank tomorrow's for for providing us with advanced copies of these issues to look through as well as kurt thank you so much for coming on uh that it's it's a big deal to us that anybody would put work into these characters uh whether it be creating them or writing about the people who created them you put eight months in at least into just reading issues for your for an article and that shows if anything, the, the 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 content and, for lack of a better uh, term, character of these characters and their creators, and uh, it's it's worthy of something being celebrated. And we wanted to make sure we thank you and and all the team over at uh, Alter Ego and and at Back Issue as well for for putting all this together. Thank you, Chad. It's been a pleasure. All righty, sir. Well, uh, again, guys, pick up Alter Ego and Back Issue as they come out this month and look forward to stuff from the Lantern cast in the months of June and July as we celebrate the 75th anniversary of Green Lantern in the biggest way we know how. Uh, and we will talk to you guys later. Just a real quick note to listeners of this episode, if you are a podcaster, a uh, blogger, or uh, run a website devoted to comics fandom and would like to participate in the upcoming massive Green Lantern 75th anniversary crossover, then please email us at lanterncast at gmail.com. That is lanterncast at gmail.com. And we will gladly consider your submission or your ideas and invite you in onto the massive crossover up in the months of June and July. Additionally, if you would like to contact the Lanterncast in general after listening to this episode, you can do so by emailing us at lanterncast at gmail.com, as previously mentioned, or you can leave us a voicemail at 708-LANTERN, that is 708-LANTERN, and we will play those on the show and respond to them in kind. Uh, you can also contact us on Facebook or Twitter, just search for the uh, Lantern Cast, and you will find us there to like or follow on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, you can also use the hashtag on social media of GLCast to be posting about the show. And if you listen to us on iTunes or Stitcher, please don't hesitate to 
go over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review as that drastically helps increase the visibility of the show. Thanks again so much, guys, for listening, and we look forward to the 75th anniversary stuff in June and July.